happy, happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. It's that time of year. Um, but today I, I'm going to talk to you guys about a question that I got. Actually, it's a string of questions that are related to uh, getting in this field and what this field looks like, kind of the landscape of this field. If you're interested in cybersecurity and um, let's just get right. Oh, before I start, you should know I have a Black Friday sale. If you're interested in anything that I've ever created, I've got just so you know, I got a lot of most of my stuff is free. So you go to combocourses.net. There's a ton of everyday low prices, like really low, lower than the Black Friday stuff that I do, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I, I have a Black Friday sales is 45 percent off of everything in in the, on commoncourses.com for a limited time a limited amount of people can do it um and uh, let's get right into this so i got a question about um let me see if i can find the actual question to kick this off the question is in regards to let me see they said oh couple questions. One was, what kind of jobs can one apply for with Security Plus? And I'll address that one. But then somebody else asked me, man, where is it? It's a pretty good question. They said, um, oh, man, where is it? They're asking me about this chart that I always show. And I, wow, I can't find the damn question. That's crazy. Okay, anyway, they said um, there's a progression chart that I normally show, and I wanted to point you guys to that before I really get started into this. And uh, the reason why I want to show you that is because it's really important. That if you're trying to get sort of, if you're looking to advance your career in IT, or if you're trying to level up, or if you're trying to get in this field, it gives you a good idea of, of uh, what employers are looking for. And so that's why it's really important. And the let me just go ahead and show you guys. If you happen to be watching me on Facebook or YouTube, and let me see, I will show you. And actually, link is in description below. If you're if you're following me uh, on Facebook or YouTube or LinkedIn, it's it's called um, pauljeremy.com forward slash security cert certification roadmap. If you just go to Google and type in security certification progression, you'll find it. And what it is, is a breakdown of the types of security certifications, cybersecurity certifications, and the levels that go in there. Now, if you happen to be listening to me, I will explain it real quick. So it's a color-coded chart. It's called security certification roadmap. And uh, let me switch this for the sake of my folks watching me on. Okay, here we go. If you happen to be watching me on TikTok, I can kind of show you guys the screen. This is kind of what it looks like. But, uh, and unfortunately, you won't be able to see everything. But the green starts off with communication and network certifications. So Cisco vendor level certifications, that kind of thing. And it goes up from beginner to intermediate to expert across the board. You've got IAM, which stands for in, uh, Information Assurance Management, I believe. Um, if that's the IAM that they're talking about, let me see. They might be talking about Identity and Access Manager. Okay, they're talking about Identity and Access Manager. There's two. In, in cyber and IT, there's two different IAMs. <laughs> they're talking about Identity and Access Manager. Uh, you got uh, Security, Architecture, and, and Engineering. 
and that's in orange. You've got asset, security, and gold. Uh, you've got, uh, and, and then there's just all of these different certifications that are going up. In, in black, you've got security and risk management. This is my specialty right here. Uh, and there's a progression. It goes from security plus all the way up to CASP plus to CISSP, all the way up to expert level certifications that you rarely hear about, like the, the, the GSE, for example. The upper high level expert level certification. Um, then you've got uh, in the purple, you've got security and assessment training. You've got a software security. Um, you've got a bunch of certifications on security operations. So the way this is broken down is really brilliant because it's giving you an idea of like if you are entry level, where would you start? You go to the bottom of the chart and you can see things like uh, ITIL. Uh, foundations and this is definitely like an entry level type certification because all it's doing is kind of telling you um, the verb, the terms uh, of the of IT and, and kind of the landscape of IT is very entry entry level. You've got uh, other entry level certs such as the SC nine hundred, which is uh, a CompTIA Cloud Essentials, very very basic. You've got uh, Project Plus, Project Management, Entry Level. You've got uh, a couple. Let me see if there's any ones that I recognize that are, that are pretty popular. On the very bottom tier, I don't. the only one I recognize is Pro, uh, Project Plus and ITIL Foundations. Uh, but let's go up a little bit further to more of the more popular certifications that I would actually recommend that you, if you're really, really entry, entry level. ITIL's okay. Um, for entry level, but uh, let me see if I can find any other ones here. The AZ900, this is a good one. This is uh, Microsoft Azure Fundamentals and AWS uh, Cloud Web uh, Certification Cloud Practitioner. This is also a very, very good certification. Very When I say good, it's very marketable and it, it gets you immediately into some sort of a niche. Now, that said, what I will say to all beginners is that certifications are not everything. There's a misconception in this field to think that once you get a certification, you're immediately going to be making $100,000. And that's that may be there are some exceptions to the rule where people do make come in, make $100,000 or whatever with just a certification and very, very little experience or no experience. I'm sure that does happen in some magical land. But. In the real world, that's typically not what happens. Normally, you have some type of um, some type of experience to back you up. You know, there's some kind of experience that you've had in basic IT. That's why on this channel, I typically tell people to start start where you are, start in basic IT, get the knowledge first. That's why I always tell people this: certifications are not a magic bullet. It's going to be something that enhances your career. And that's what it was designed for, to enhance, to show the employer that you are capable of this thing, not the other way, not the other way around. It's not supposed to be something to um, necessarily give you the skills. It's supposed to be something that validates your skills. That said, you can still use the certifications to uh, as a way to learn. But that it's going to take you doing hands-on work to, to get yourself um, acquainted and uh, with this technology. Because IT is the foundation of all cybersecurity stuff. You know, so 
All I'm saying is there's no magic bullet. You're not going to just take a certification and make a hundred thousand dollars. That just, I've been doing this for over 20 years and I have not seen people do that. I personally haven't. It, it doesn't happen every now and then and 0.01% of people maybe, but I haven't, I haven't seen them. I know there's a lot of influencers who are saying, Oh, just take the certification. But what they're not telling you, what they're not telling you uh, is that, a lot of times the employers want you to have some level of experience and they always want you to have some level of basic IT knowledge. There's there's no exceptions to that. So um, take what I say with a grain of salt. Take what other, these other influencers say with a grain of salt. Do your own homework, your own research, because that's what it's going to take to get into this field. Let's get back into this into this uh, progression chart. What we've been doing, if you happen to be late here, is we're looking at this progression chart. And if you want to find this right now, follow along with me. If you happen to be watching me, link is in description for this. If you happen to be listening to me, link is in description. If you are watching me on TikTok or somewhere where you can't actually see this, then what you want to do, and this is very, it's, you really want to see this chart, go to Google and type in security progression chart, and this will come up. Security certification progression or security certification roadmap. And you will find this is called pauljeremy.com. And then he has this like awesome, I don't know who this dude is. I don't know what to do personally, but this site and this little thing that he put together is really nice. And I, I come back to here to refer to it myself on um, from time to time. So what I want to pay special attention to, what I want you to see here is how different certifications are broken down to different levels. There's entry level certifications, and then there's intermediate certifications, there's professional level, the intermediate or professional level certifications, and then expert level. And it's progressively harder and harder and more expensive to do. So, for example, the level of effort you're going to take on a Security Plus. Let me show you where Security Plus sits on this map. Security Plus is a damn good certification. I used to teach it. I have Security Plus myself. It was one of the first uh, security certifications that I had. But it's, it's kind of an entry level cert. It's on the... It's on the edge of being uh, intermediate, but here it is right here. You can see it's, it's still on kind of the bottom rung security-wise because you're not really specializing just yet. All of these bottom ones are very general. Even these, these uh, cloud-based ones that are very good, some of these cloud-based ones, they're very broad. So they're not specializing in any one thing yet. Once you get into the deeper, you go deeper into this rabbit hole, you start to specialize in certain things like you can go from the security plus and one that's a good one to go above this before you get to casp well let me see if it depends at this point it's kind of going to depend on where you want to specialize in but let's say we went we stayed in uh security and risk management let's see if i can find a good marketable certification that i would actually recommend to people um, let me see here. I'm not seeing any that are very, very popular here. Uh, an intermediate, um, C risk, which is just below the CASP plus is a good one. Uh, very marketable. Many, many people have, have heard about that one. Another one would be, let's, let's look in the green area. This is the network security ones. Uh, there's a quite a few network security ones, but these ones are mostly um, 
vendor level certifications. Unfortunately, if you get into network engineering, network security, or anything involving networking, um, shoot, man, it's very vendor uh, specific. So, and, and the reason why that's bad is that vendor vendor level certs are necessary, especially for e each individual job. Um, but let's say you took this Fortunet one. Fortunet is a company who is going to change their, they're going to change everything about their device. And then the certification itself has to change with that device. So they change quite frequently and they're usually mostly relevant if you're in an industry or in a company that's using that particular device. So it's kind of, it's very narrow path. Somebody said, what is your opinion on the OSC, OSCP? Um, OSCP is a is a hacker certification, um, highly, highly respected in the field. It's way, way up, up here somewhere. Let me see, expert level. No, okay, it's a professional level cert. Here it is right here in the red. This is OSCP right here. So you can see it's a uh, it's on the on the edge of being an intermediate certification on its way to becoming an expert level. So right there, OSCP is a is a damn good cert if you're trying to be a pen tester. You know, if you're trying to do GRC or something like that, it's not as uh, I don't need it. Put it to you that way. I'm a GRC guy. I do not need that certification at all. That certification would be a waste of my time because I'm not doing that's not the kind of work that I do. Um, but anyway, you've got CAP certification, which is now called GCRC. Um, you've got. Um, let me see. Uh, we were OK. Here we are right here. So you'll notice in the network engineering stuff, you'll see a bunch of vendor level certifications, a whole bunch of them, Cisco certifications and whatnot. Uh the only non-vendor one that I know of is the Network Plus, which is not the best certification. Intermediate CCNA, which is a difficult certification. I used to have this one. I let it lapse. It's expired now. Uh, and then uh, on the bleeding edge, right by expert is CCNP. CCNP is hella hard. <laughs> hella hard. It's like five or six different certifications uh, that you have to take to get one. to get. You have to take five or six tests. Four, four or five tests to get that one certification. Um, let me see. Some other ones that I will point out in the orange would be. Hmm. Oh, let me see here. CCSP, that's a cloud certification from ISC2 squared. That one's pretty highly respected. Uh, there's AWS uh, Cloud Native uh, Computing Foundation. Um, AWS CSS. Uh, oh, that's AWS Services for Cloud Secure Certified Security Specialists. So you kind of get the idea. You got entry level way down here, intermediate, and then it goes all the way up to expert level certifications. Um, and uh, it, it's just a good way to understand like what um, what you got going on with these certifications. Okay, I got a couple questions here. Uh, or statements. Let me see from Facebook. Yeah, Paul did some great work on this one. I think it's fallen off of his priority list. A few updates. Yeah, it's it's a little bit dated. I can see a couple that uh, certifications that have already uh, already kind of evolved or changed. Like the the cap is now 
known as the CGRC, and there's a couple of other ones. I don't see the new Cisco certification. Oh, there it is, CCT. I think that's the new cert, Cisco cert. Yep, Cisco certified technician. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit dated, but I can see that it's uh, it's still it's still pretty relevant. So I would I definitely still reference this one. It's it's very very good. Uh, let me see if I have any more. OSCP is hard as hell, but very fun and educational. Yeah, S OSCP from what I I've never taken it. But from what uh, some of my peers have said is that it's very hands-on and basically they put you in a, a lab and you're supposed to hack. It's, it's not like other tests. It's very hands-on. They put you like you log in. You have all resources. Like I can I could take it from my house <laughs> and then log in. They're like, OK, you're a hacker. OK, hack this, hack that. Right. And you have to hack certain networks and stuff inside of this virtual environment online. You've got 24 hours to to uh i don't know if it's a capture the flag type thing but you've got 24 hours to do do what you need to do it's very hands-on so for it's it's very highly respected with with actual hackers which is impressive because they're very hackers are, are very hard to impress they're they're not impressed with cissp they're not impressed with ceh they're not impressed with any any certification <laughs> they, they they just shit all over it but oscp is one of the few that they've kind of said yeah this is this is a legit certification. Um, and it's the, I think it's because the way that they did that offensive security did it. Those are the people who created that that course. And, and actually, those guys have some great tools. If you're interested in doing pen testing, you'll go to type in Cali Linux offensive security site and you'll have you'll have a whole bunch of resources, training, downloadable, free downloadables. They've been giving away um, their free hacker tools for years. And um, I mean, all the way back to when it was called Backtrack. And it evolved to uh, to Cali Linux, and um, and and they've been just giving away these awesome tools that they could easily charge hundreds of dollars for. Um, so that and and it's used throughout all most industries that do red teaming or any kind of pen testing. The the tool the tool of choice has been something like Cali Linux type uh, or some variant. And and normally even the people who who uh, who are doing something similar to them are usually copying offensive security stuff and using it. So now these guys have a couple of certifications um, and they're proving themselves in the, in every single industry, in the healthcare industry, in the department of defense, in the federal space. And I mean, they just dominate, they just dominate that space because they're just so good. And I don't know how the hell they got that good in such a competitive uh uh, tight area because you got sans.org um, who, who've been the dominant on many different levels with cybersecurity. Um, you've got um, shit. You've got uh, council, the EC, the, the, the E, E council, E council. That's what they're called. The guys who do CEH and uh, they've got a whole suite of tool of certifications that you can use and they they also have been dominant, but man, offensive security just came in and just killed it. So black arch, black arch is better. So that's awesome. I, they've got some a few people jumping in here, um, talking on, uh, speaking on uh, pen testing. I'm not a pen tester, so I'm not the right guy to talk to about that stuff. I kind of mess around with it, but I'm not, you know, for fun. I I, I haven't done it in i I've done very little of it. Put it to you that way in a in an actual operational environment. So I don't really know a lot. 
Uh, Black Arch is better. I've never even, let me see what that is real quick. I'm just curious. Black Arch. What else? What else you guys got? Like as far as pen testers, all my pen testers who are watching me, what other tools or sites or sources would you recommend? Black Arch Linux, pen testing distribution, blackarch.org. Looks interesting. Might have to mess with this. Oh, they got some free full ISOs out there. I wonder if this is a variant of, of Kali Linux or if this, this is their own special sauce. And lately, what's been happening, what's terrifying, <laughs> is that, is that uh, AI is beginning to get integrated into, into this stuff. Like people are using AI tools. There's a couple of AI um, chat GPT variants that... Uh, Large learning language models that are being tailored just for hacking. And uh, I don't know what to think about that. I've, I've been kind of dabbling with the uh, chat TPT for production, but I haven't messed with it as far as security just yet. But I, I want to put my hands on it because it looks very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, now AI is starting to get in there. So I'm sure people like organizations like Black Arch or like, Offensive security are going to take it and run with it because that's what they did with Linux. Like when Linux and, and, and cloud technology came out, they, they what they'll do is they just take it and run with it, come out with all these different tools and downloadables that you can use for, for doing uh, red teaming and, and um, offensive type security where you're hacking into things or you're hacking your own stuff. You know, you, you a lot of times these days, the serious organizations, what they do is they'll they'll have their own hacker team. And they, they actually hack their own environment to determine if how sound, how solid their security posture is. Like they'll they'll run attacks on their own network. They'll do they'll do a phishing test on their own people. They'll do um, they'll 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 do SQL injections to see if their websites can be infiltrated that way. They'll do all kinds of stuff like that. Sans is expensive. Yeah, Sans is like is no joke. It's it's, it's upwards of 5k 6k 7k easily 10k like to take one certification it's uh it's really really expensive <laughs> that said like some of the people who i've met who are my peers who had sans certifications were no joke they were whatever sans is doing uh it works but it's hella i think that they i think they make expensive because they're selling it's kind of a b2b type thing like it's they're selling to like, you know, IBM and Microsoft and and the Department of Defense. So they can charge these exorbitant prices because they they're thinking, OK, well, this company is going to pay for their all of their main people to come in and, and take the certification and get the training and, and, and then leave. So they're kind of they're tailoring their marketing, I think, towards big, big players, not individuals like you and I who who might just want to take the test on our own or whatever. So that's why the, uh, this is just my, my thoughts on it. That's why their tests are like, I don't know, five, seven K, 15, 10 K, something, something crazy. Just to sit for their test, I believe. Uh, let me see. Let's see here. Let me see some other questions. Somebody asked me, uh, you know which of these would be most useful for detect detection and response? Um, which? 
Oh, oh, what certification? Okay, let me let me get back to which certification would be best for detection and response. That would probably be the one that comes to mind is the one we we're just talking about, which is SANS courses. The question is, while well, I bring this up on the Facebook side, is which certification would be best for would be best for um, detection and response? And the one that comes to mind would be SANS has something called incident handling, GCIH, I believe it's called. GCIH, incident handling. Yeah, that's one of them. Uh, SANS has one called GCIA, which is really good for um, cybersecurity analysts who are really good at detecting whether or not your your environment has been infiltrated because they can like go into the packets and, and look at all the network traffic and all that kind of stuff. Another good one is from CompTIA called, uh, I don't know why I always have a hard time remembering, CS, CSYA. That's another one. Let me see. Let me see if I can find those certifications. That would be, I think, an operational security over here somewhere. So, um, here we go. Pen testing. And if you guys know off the top of your head, like feel free to chime in. But right now I'm looking for somebody asked me, what is the best certification? Bottom right. Okay, thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what is they said? What's the best certification for detection? And Detection and response is what they said. Detection and let me, I'm just going kind of scrolling back to the detection and response. Okay. So I said off the top of my head, it will be GCIH and GCIA and bottom right is what somebody said. So I'm kind of looking on this chart that shows the security certification progression roadmap where we can see those types of information here is that type of data uh just left of forensic about five up five up forensics hacking forensics what is this one okay it's definitely in security operations so that's good there's forensics and incident handling there we go there we go thank you thank you for that here here it is right here so I'm kind of going through these, and a lot of these I don't reckon I don't um, recognize. CEH um, is a good certification. Let me qualify that word "good." What I mean by "good" is that it's very marketable. People know what it is. Uh, it's 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 good because it's marketable. It tells you a bunch of tools. I've kind of touched on it. I don't have that certification. But um, it's going to go a little bit into incident handling and detection, and it's going to tell you kind of what tools are usually used for it, for detection and response. So it's it's I think it's it's more marketable than a lot of the other ones, or as marketable. So that one be would be a good one to to mess around with. Um, let me see if there's another one. I'm looking for the incident handling ones, and 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 that's got to be on this list. It's got to be on this list because that's one of the best certifications. It might just be higher up on the list. I'm probably looking too low. 
Um, GCIA is going to be a very, very good certification. This is incident handling right here. So I'm kind of going scrolling down the list and looking for some of the more marketable ones. And there's tons of them on here. There's Blue Team 1, Level 1. There's um, Access Data Certified uh, Examiner. There's, um, oh, here's one. EC Council's Computer Hacking Forensics Investigator. So there's one uh, for like an incident handling type. Uh, here's another one. Mile 2 Certified Threat Intelligence Analyst. Who are they're looking for threats that uh, that might affect the organization? Here's one from GC GIAC Open Source Intelligence. Actually, this looks like a really good one. It's only it's nine hundred dollars. I mean, not cheap. I was gonna say only nine hundred dollars, but that's not cheap. Um, and I'm I'm not seeing GCIA or GCIH, which is really surprising to me. I might just be missing it. Yeah, I think I'm just missing it. So to answer your question without the list, it would be GCIH is a really good if you can afford it. If you have an organization who's willing to pay for it, then that's a really, really highly sought after certification for incident response and detection. Another one would be GCIA. Very pricey, man. It's not I don't see it listed here. I'm sure it's on here. Some I'm just not my old ass eyes are not catching it. But GCIA and GCIH are top tier. So if, if you have the option of getting it, if the mill, if whoever organization is going to pay for it for you, I would highly recommend it because not only is it people know what it is in the industry, but it's you're going to know your shit. You're going to really know your stuff. Um, and I'm trying to think of other ones. CEH, I did mention that one. Um, here's the deal: the mark, the marketing team the HR department and the technical recruiters know what that is. And a lot of organizations are looking for it. It's highly marketable. It's a, it's kind of like a pen testing type certification, I, but it's, it's going to be like, you would be able let me put it to you this way. If you put that on your resume and said, I want to be an incident handler, people would confuse that with a legit incident handling certification. Um, <laughs> so that, that's actually a good one for marketability sake. I'm trying to look for some other, and there's some other CEH. There's like CEH has like three or four levels above. So it doesn't stop. It starts with CEH. There's two or three levels above that. People shit on CEH all the time, but actually there's, there's a couple hands on CEH certifications above, which I think I read on here. Um, so those would be the top ones that come to my mind. Security Plus would also will probably be an entry level one that tells you like it kind of tells you the security landscape and a little bit about incident handling. It kind of tells you a lot about a lot of things, but that would be a good entry level one. Security Plus is fire because it can kind of get you into it, it. You can go into different directions with it. Like you, it's so broad that you could get into CEH. You can just do help desk security stuff. You could get into a little bit of cloud. Like if you want to go that direction, you can go that direction with it. You can, you can do what I do, which is policy type stuff. Like it tells you, it gets into a little bit of everything and people know it's also marketable. So it would be a good entry into, it wouldn't be where you want to start with stop. I mean, with incident handling, you'd probably want to go into like a, a CEH or a GCIA or, or GCIH or something like that. Um, GCIA is purple and below. Is purple and below. Oh, okay. GCIA, 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 
purple and below. G C I G N G G S N A. What is that one? Okay, so, uh, system network. Uh, Systems and Network Auditor, $900. GCS, so these, these, these SANS courses are not cheap, bro. <laughs> They're not cheap, bro. Uh, critical Control Certification, $900. Um, GC, oh, there it is. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Ryan. GCIH, uh, GCIA is under Security and Assessment. Uh, security Assessment and, and Testing. I don't know why they put it there, but... Uh, intrusion uh, analysis. There it is. That's it right there. That's one of the ones I was mentioning. So yeah, that that's also a good one. Hope that answers your question. I got some other questions here. I'm going to hit these. I'm not going to be here for a very long time today, guys. Got some families, familying to do. Just started studying for Security Plus this week. Security Plus is fire, man. I stand by it. I stand by it. It's, it's a great... Security Plus... Security Plus is a great certification. It's just, it's very well-rounded. It covers all the essential security things that you need to know to start off. It's expecting you to know basic IT stuff, right? Basic help desk, basic how computers work, servers and switches and routers and stuff like that. Basic things, not in the weeds where you're backing up routers or whatever switches. It's expecting you kind of have an idea of how networking works and all that. And then it just focusing on the security aspects of networking, the security aspects of servers, the security aspects of cloud, security aspects of each one of these. So it gives you a real good layout of what the field looks like. And from there, you can kind of focus in on certain things. And one of the best things about it is people know what it is. And I know that sounds crazy, but when we look at this list, when I, that list that I showed you uh, from Paul Jeremy, most 90% of these certifications nobody ever heard. 80% of them I never heard of, you know, and I'm in this field. I've never heard of most of these certifications. And many of them are vendor level. They probably they change once every two years or something like that. But there's certain cert certifications that are a that are a staple, that that are a um they're the very it's like a mountain on a part of this landscape that hasn't changed. CISSP. Um, C C E H. I hate to say it, but it's it's been there. It's been just there. You know what I mean, like grass and air. And then uh, Security Plus is another one. Uh, those cert those certifications, people really really know what those are. And there's many many others. Like G. And when you get deeper in the weeds of this, um, O C O O C um S P that we talked about earlier. O S C P is also become is it's. It's holding its own. Uh, GPAN, most of the SANS, many of the SANS courses are doing really good. GCIH, uh, GCIA. Um, there's many certs I'm sure I'm forgetting, but the thing is marketability really matters because if you say, oh, I have a, let me choose one. I have a Google PCSA, right? Or I have a Google 783. I just made that up. Like you don't even know if that was real or not. You know what I mean? Like, you don't even know if that's real. Uh, if I said, um, uh, hey, do you have a, a, a CCP certification? Do you have a, a e? I'm reading off this list because I don't like most of these I've never heard of. Do Hey, do you have a, a, a CSBA? Do you have a JF35? See, you don't even know which one of those was real or which one of those was fake. But if I said, hey, you have a Security Plus? 
Do you have a network plus? Do you have a project plus? It's marketing. If I say, uh, do you have a CISSP? Do you have um, a GCRC? Do you have, um, you know, there's several certifications that if people every people in this industry in IT know what they are. And that's really, that's actually very important because you might have taken the Crest CTIM and it might be a dope certification that nobody ever heard of. You know what I mean? So, because I'm sure like the Juniper certifications are fire like that. Juniper is a is a, a competitor with Cisco. But if your organization doesn't use Juniper, you're right, they're going to want you to have a Cisco certificate. Not to say that they wouldn't hire you if you were a Juniper lead or at some other place and you can you know how to go into Cisco routers or whatever. That might still help you, but I'm saying like the marketability is is really really important to these certifications. And I'm not telling you, hey, don't go get an IBM security cert. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's some certification that'll help you with your knowledge base, like to get, to get from here to there. Like you can use it to, to train yourself and, and get into the curriculum and that body of knowledge to, to know that stuff. And then there's certain certifications that are, when you put it on your resume, people are literally looking for that certification and some in your background. And those two things alone can get you, uh, can land you a job. Uh, let me see. I have a ZF300 FB version two. <laughs> exactly. Like, what the hell is that? I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, Ryan says, um, I think there's a limit uh, to the certifications at this point. I'm a huge fan of continued learning, but at some point you have to leave certifications and the professional education and transition into micro learning and situational research. I'm now fully uh, one eight uh, uh, one eighty one forty compliant with advanced degrees and passed my ISSMP. Fire, man, that's fire! Congrats, by the way. I don't have that certification and CGRC. I do have that one in 2023. Hope to snag a DoD ISSM position after I pay my dues as an ISSO for the next few years. That's that's an awesome path, by the way. And I do agree with what you're saying there, because that's kind of where I'm at right now, Ryan, is where I'm not really chasing certifications. Uh, I don't really, they don't, I'm at a point where they don't help my, they don't help my career as much anymore. What really helps me at this point is experience, more experience and in, in different, with different tools, and certifications don't seem to meet, move the needle anymore for me. You get in this point. What Ryan is saying is when you first I would say when you first start out, a certification can be it can it can make or break. Like it can be the thing that gets you the job or not. Like a, if you have been doing a help desk for a while and you get that security plus. If you put that on your cert, you put that on your resume or if you get that CISSP. It's gonna. It's definitely gonna change your career path. But at, at a certain point, you get a couple of vendor certs because you had to at some job you were at, and you get you have a security plus. You have four years of of experience doing this stuff, and the, you have everything that the organization that you work for needs. I don't really need to get more certifications. The only one I've kind of been flirting with is the cloud certifications because I really need to sharpen up my my uh, resume in that department. But 
Um, I don't really need kind of like what Ryan's saying. I'm fully 8140 compliant and, and 8140. Actually, this is a great topic of discussion. Thanks for bringing that up, Ryan. So what is 8140? 8140 is something that the Department of Defense, along with a few other organizations, came up with to say, hey, uh, these, this is a list of things that we think you should have. These are a list of suggestions on certifications that we think every organization should have. And in fact, we're going to put it in our I'm trying to find the most recent one because this thing changes from time to time. But let me just kind of give you an idea what it is first and then we maybe we can expand it. Here it is right here, 8140. 8140 is just a it's a directive from the Department of Defense. Why is it the part if if you if like you might be, well, Bruce, I don't do, you know, I'm not in the federal government. So that why is this important to me? Well, let me show you why. Let me show you why. Because if you're what's happening is not only is the Department of Defense using this, but many other federal organizations are using it. And as a result, all the contractors also have been using this as a kind of a guide to say, OK, where do we want our IAT level one people to be? IAT level one is information assurance technical person. This is a person who's going to touch computers and may have to do some laptop uh, fix actions on the security of that of a workstation, uh, like a help desk person. That's IAT level one. IAT level two is like a step above. This is like an advanced help desk person or a network person, possibly. Um, this is a person who who's touching a little bit more than just workstations. Maybe they 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 dabble in the network portion of the of the of the help desk a bit. And then you have another another one, which is IAT level two. And these are high level people. This is like uh, third uh, tier three type folks that are messing around with the infrastructure itself in some cases and they might have have to do two different networks two different enclaves two different land uh, local area networks and maybe with some wan stuff it just gets very advanced at this point so uh this is just three levels and and every organization is going to have their own spin on this by the way because you know there's no one size fits all with this but this is just a guide for federal organizations. And like I said, uh, not just DOD, but many federal organizations and then the contractors who do federal organizations. And then here's the thing. Some private organizations also are using this as a guide to, to see, OK, what what do we need for our department if we're doing uh, auditing? What kind of certifications is the federal government using? So we're going to use that, too. It's kind of like it's kind of become a standard almost to a level of like STIGs. A STIG, if you didn't know, is a security technical implementation guide that many organizations are using, even though it was made for and by the DISA, uh, the, the DOD. It was made by them, the Defense Department of the U.S., but many, many organizations all over the world are using it because it's just so well done. It's just a STIG. It's a what it is. It's a breakdown of all the security features that you're supposed to put on a workstation on a server and it gets it gets real deep it goes like it's not just saying okay workstations they're saying like if you have windows 10 you're supposed to have these features and it breaks it all the way down i'm talking about where what actual values in the policy on uh h key local key is supposed to be there it goes super deep 
uh, and it and it does Max, it does uh, Red Hat, it does it does applications, it does major applications, it does Adobe, all variants of Adobe products, any kind of product that's like really widespread. They they normally have some kind of a stig, a security technical implementation guide for that. So stig, did I hear that the right way? Uh, where are those guidelines, uh, where do those come from? Oh, okay, great question. Stigs, um, if you want to know more about those, they're publicly available. Uh, you just go to Google, type in Stig. Let me let me make sure I'm not lying to you. <laughs> uh, it's on DISA's website, which is um, public.cyber.mil. Let, let me just show you real quick. It's easier if I just show you. Publicly available, everybody in the world can see this everybody in the world you know this is not some kind of a secret it's downloadable stuff they they make this so that people can secure their their systems whatever and mainly it's used in the federal government but many organizations including hospitals and and um fed in uh financial institutions and anybody who's gigantic and usually if they're if they are using some sort of um if they're using some sort of, if they have an international presence, multi-million dollar companies are using this this stuff right here. It's just very, very useful. And there's automation tools here. It breaks it all the way down to individual controls. That's what you get with your control correlation identifiers. It maps this stuff to C C E uh, CVEs. Um, it's just a whole bunch of stuff and tools that you can use in your organization to become compliant, to, to make your system more secure. It, it's kind of overboard, to be honest, for, for the uses of, of most organizations. Like most organizations probably don't need this right here. It's a little bit much. If you're a small organization who has nothing to do with the department of, you know, with any kind of federal organization and maybe you don't have any uh, super important data or whatever, uh, then you probably, you probably don't need the stigs. But it's, it's a really good reference to know what, how to secure systems. Like if you have Windows 11 systems, as a breakdown of how to secure Windows 19, Windows 11, Mac systems, it's really, really, really a useful tool. If you like, if you're a brand new company, you're medium size, and you come in and they're like, hey, IT department, we need you to secure, we need you guys' suggestions on how to secure uh, our DNS server, or we, because they have one for that too. Uh, we have a, a Windows 19 DNS server, whatever it is, right? I'm just off the top of my head. I'm just coming up with stuff. And it's in the cloud. Like, what what do you guys suggest? For, you can go to the Stigs and it'll say, you need to do this. I'm talking like it goes right down to, and there's a lot of things you don't need in there. If you lock it down too much, it can it can disrupt your mission or, or business, uh, your business or mission. So you you got the, and that's when you, you need somebody to go in there, a security guy like myself, or some kind of uh, engineer to go in there and line by line, look at er everything and say, okay, we need this. We don't need this. We need this. We don't need this. So it just gets really, really deep. Those are stigs. That's where it's at. And if you missed that, that's at um, public.cyber.mil forward slash stigs. That's the site right there. So, or just go on Google and type stigs. You'll find it. S-T-I-G-S. Security technical implementation implementation guides. The NSA used to have a really good guides for it. I don't know if they still do. They kind of faded in the background. They were kind of 
at some time, it, there was a point when when they were really on the same, not on the same level as Dissa, but they were they were putting out guides too. I don't know if they really do it anymore. Another organization that puts out really good guides is um, the CIS um, Center for Inf for Internet Security. CIS, they're up to version eight now. And you got CIS Benchmarks. That's also a really good resource if you happen to be a, a mom and pop or, or medium-sized company that's going to tell you basic uh, best, best security practices. And it's really helpful to even know this stuff, to be honest with you. If you, if you go and read up on what it is, uh, crack it open and then like download the files on there and kind of take, check it out. You'll notice a lot of it, especially if you're an IT person, you'll notice a lot of it you already have done before. You have already have touched and you'll recognize basic things like turning on logging, um, having an organ a part of your organization that's looking at uh, trying to detect incidents. You're, you, you'll see, you'll detect a lot of those things. They'll have basic security practices like, okay, we have to have an inventory. We have to have a, a software or hardware inventory, just basic, basic security practices that you've already, I'm sure if you're an IT person, or even if you are happen to be a student, you've heard about. So, oh, Larry, thanks for that, man. I, I appreciate you for the Java. Thank you. <laughs> this man has been funding my, uh, my drinks. <laughs> I appreciate you. He says, how can someone take a project management background and use that as a bridge into the field of compliance. Appreciate the streams and hope your family are doing great for the holidays. Um, hmm, okay, let's see. I'm a I'm a project manager, and I'm trying to get into compliance. So first of all, you have some of the essential skills already uh, for compliance because as a compliance person, I'm doing a lot of project management. In the job I'm doing right now, I'm doing a lot of project management type stuff. What I mean is where I'm at right now, Larry, is I'm in a position where I, I do have to know a lot of security stuff, but I'm not doing hands-on stuff. I'm not building firewall rules. I'm not backing up Cisco routers. I'm not making IP chains. I'm not doing all, you know, I'm not doing any of that stuff. And somebody asked me to do it, to be honest, I would not, I would not know how. <laughs> I would not know how to do that stuff like that stuff I did like in another lifetime or anyway. So how would you go from here to there? Um, what I'm doing a lot of right now is very, very in parallel with what you do as a project manager, because what I'm what I have to do is set up meetings. And I have to say, OK, how are we going to fix this vulnerability? And I have to work with the team who does has have hands on stuff. So communication is a super big part of what I do. Um, and you as, a, as a, a, pro, a project manager, you already have that mastered. You've already done it. Like, you know how to do that. You know how to organize. You know that how important dependencies are on a project. You, you know how to give more padding for timeframes on getting things done. Like, those are things that a lot of security guys like myself need to learn. But you already know it. So that's good. Where I would start if I was a project manager is I would start from the from the beginning. I would start with basic information technology. I would get myself to at least a security plus a security. And I think that you already go on this path. So a security plus is going to break down some of the basic things that you need. And now, if you're not 
uh, IT savvy, you probably, if you know nothing at all about IT, okay, let's talk from the beginning. Let's say you know nothing at all about IT, but you're a pro, you're a great project manager. I would start off, and I tell everybody this, I'm like a broken record. Uh, I tell people to go to the A plus certification because the A plus certification is there's two different uh, tests that you have to take to get the A plus certification. There's a core one and then there's a core two. And what they break down is the basics of IT, the basics of cloud computing, the basics of and what you want to do is focus on the curriculum. Um, you're not so much interested in this in the certification itself. You're interested in the in the um, in the things that you need to know, the common body of knowledge that's in there. Now, it's really awesome. Like if you want to go hardcore, take the test and pass it. It's not it's not going to be easy if you're new to it, just so you know. I would say, and then as you're doing the test, if you're doing learning about hardware, networking, uh, operating systems, um, uh, if you learn you learn about mobile devices, virtual, uh, virtual and cloud computing, you're learning about all the basics of the stuff that you need to do. You go ahead and take the test. What you need to do is also do hands-on. Get your hands on things like VMware. If you're taking notes, like I got, I got a few things that 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 I used that you could use too. Um, VMware is going to teach you virtualization. Once you start loading up operating systems and doing networks, you're going to learn networking. You're going to learn uh, operating systems. Um, you're going to learn troubleshooting because it's going to it's not going to work the first time, um, and you got to figure out why. And then you can start setting up environments where you can learn security all on your desktop. Now, you got to have a fairly robust computer. I would suggest at least an i, if you happen to have an Intel system, like an, at least an i5. I, I think an i3 could do it, but an i, an i5 or something robust, like a computer that has a little bit of more RAM than usual, like at least eight gigs of RAM. And the reason why I say that you need to have at least eight gigs of RAM, most important is going to be, I would say, at least a terabyte of data. You can always just supplement the, your, your these days your storage with like a, a flash drive or, of some sort. So at least one terabyte of data. I would say at least uh, eight gigs of RAM. The more the better, but eight gigs will, will do you just fine. And then at least an, an i5. Uh, Intel processor. I think they're up to i9 now. i7 would be great, but i5 at least because I found that the um, i3s and lower than eight gigs is really hard to do the type of stuff I'm telling you to do on your PC. So you can literally have a laptop and set up all these environments where you're doing hands-on work. What you're trying to do is get yourself acclimated to IT, and the best way to do it is is to have hands-on uh, experience and so you can actually create a lab on your personal laptop or in your network even you don't even need vmware what you could do is buy a couple of throwaway laptops you happen to have some on your network already set up a network on your in your home right if you don't already have one set up a few computers and then start messing around with firewalls start messing around with different firewalls you can use i mean there's host space firewalls you can um one time I went crazy. I went out on Craigslist and I bought some people's old equipment and I set it up in on my network. And if you want to really go hardcore, that's the kind of stuff you can do is the, the point is you want to have hands on and you can do that yourself. You can do it with virtually on your computer with VMware. You probably gonna have to spend some money on that. 
Uh, I think it's like $200 a year or something like that for VMware. Um, but if you wanted to do it for free virtually, they, there's something called uh, Sandbox. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Sandbox by Oracle, I think it is. I don't remember. There's a, there's a free one, VirtualBox or Sandbox, one of those. I don't know, but it's free. And um, and then you can also just do one that's not virtual. You can set up your own laptop, your own uh, network, rather. And then uh, what I did was I went to Craigslist and I bought a bunch of old equipment. I still to this day have um, Cisco 24, 2400 routers, uh, switches, and I've got some routers and switches. And I would literally plug them in and start messing around with them and like set up like a little network to play with, to mess with. And then it got me familiar with how how uh, private IPs work, how DHCP works, um, how 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 the system will um, will serve out different IP addresses. And, and if you don't understand some of the stuff I'm saying, like you'll learn that. That's, these are the things that you'll learn and um, how basic networking works, how computer servers work. And then if you want to get a little bit more advanced, you can start doing like some hacking and stuff. To be honest, in the beginning, you don't need to do all that kind of stuff. What you need to do is, is learn the difference between a server, a workstation, what cloud computing is, how it works, as much as you learn as much of that as possible. Um, you don't really need to learn scripting, but that's nice, really nice to have. But you don't really need to learn it uh, right now in this point in your career if you're starting out. Um, point is, uh, Larry, get hands on and start where you are, wherever you happen to be. If you know zero Start with an A-plus certification just to get the, the knowledge. You can get the certification. That's You'll be way ahead of the game if you do. Uh, once you have that knowledge, you know how IT, uh, how computers work, you know how to set up a network and stuff like that, go straight to Security Plus. Security Plus, let me show you what the curriculum looks like with that. Security Plus is fire. Security Plus is one of my favorite certifications because it's just very well-rounded. It's well done. It's, it's marketable. Just at this point in time, in our current market, it's just a very solid transitional certification. So let me see if I can show you my screen here once I get this thing up. Security Plus, let me show you that. Security Plus. Here we go. Security Plus. Security Plus is, is really, really good. Opens the door for cybersecurity career. They're not lying on this. You know, a lot of people hype up their certifications and stuff. No, once you get this one, this is this highly marketable, but it's going to teach you things like general security concepts, security operations, security programs, uh, threat vulnerabilities, mitigation, super, super important, uh, especially for what you're going to, what you're trying to do. And Larry says, so acquiring a baseline security technology to be able to communicate effectively, exactly, exactly. Um, Cause that's really the main goal when you're trying to get in the GRC stuff. Cause a lot of times, I'm not hands on, but I do have to know what the hell my security team is talking about. I do have to know what the hell the firewall guy is saying if he tells me he set up a firewall rule, for example. What does that mean? Right. And I still have to do research sometimes. Don't get it twisted. I still have to learn. You know, like there's some things they talking about. I'm like taking notes. I'm like taking notes, writing. I'm like, what did he say? I said, do you say what? And then <laughs> I'll go back and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll go back and research it further to figure out more. You know what I mean? So, and somebody said uh, uh, for Security Plus, uh, Professor Messer has a free YouTube videos to prepare for the test. Best, very good ratings. Yeah, I've heard a lot about this guy. I've never taken it before, but a lot of people speak highly of Professor Messer. There's tons of free resources on 
YouTube. There's really no excuse to not get the knowledge. Money is not going to be an excuse. Time might be an excuse, but you've got to manage your time enough to where you can learn this. You says you say um, uh, acquiring a baseline security tech technology to be able to communicate effectively. Standard communication skills should come as a part of being a PM, but learning as much tech as possible. Ex exactly. Exactly. Because it's going to be smooth. The communication part for yourself, man, especially for us older folks, is it's just smoother for us. We've already dealt with, if you a vet in the military, all kinds of petty tyrants and assholes and, and difficult customers. <laughs> Sometimes they're our boss. Right. So that we we have a thick skin. We can that part of it's we've already got it right. And a lot of the young bucks, they, they don't get exposure to that till you know, they're not exposed to that part of it, but they know the technical piece. What we need to sharpen up is our, especially if you're coming from another career path, is sharpen up your skills for the actual IT portion. Like, what is this IT landscape so you can communicate effectively? And when somebody's talking about threats versus vulnerabilities versus risk, you, you're on the same page with them. You understand what they're saying. You may still have to do a little bit more research on what is a CVE, what CVE are they talking about? People aren't memorizing all the CVEs. Like people aren't memorizing. If there's so much stuff happening, man, that I I also have to over 20 years of doing this, I also have to research. Sometimes I forget control families. Like I'll I'll forget a specific control. I'll have an idea like AU one and two. I know that has to do with auditing. But if they say, oh, well, we need to sharpen up AU5. Off the top of my head, I don't know what AU5 is. These are what I'm talking about. AU means um, it's a control. So it's a name for a, a control or a security feature that you put on computers. But there's all this kind of stuff. And I find myself often Googling or, or even reading books or going to the vendor video, vendors YouTube channel to learn more about different tools and features and things that I can do. It's this is a constantly learning type of environment. And um, what you really need is a foundation. And the, the language is what you're really developing. When I tell you to go to a CompTIA A plus, you're really developing a language. You're learning like a new language that's going to allow you to speak more um, and understand what people are saying when you're in the get in the room with an IT guy. And so you could if, especially if you've been a project manager for a while and you've done a, you've done project you've been done project management on certain high level systems, you put that on your resume and then you transition and you have a security plus, you be able to transition. Uh, they I've been solicited by project management um, jobs. I've been solicited on more than one occasion because that's kind of what I do right now. To be honest, project management is mostly I'm managing vulnerabilities. That's most a lot of my job is just managing vulnerability. And that's, that just happens to be this particular job. The last one I did was writing. Mostly I was just writing some policies and procedures for some some people. So and then the job before that one, it was a lot. Again, it was plan of action and milestones. It was it was dealing with um, vulnerabilities. Right. That's that's a fancy way of saying we couldn't apply this patch on the system. It's going to take us six months to do it. Does this sound familiar to you? It's going to take us six months to do it. This is project management. How are we going to do that? And what are our milestones to get that done? This all sounds, you've already messed with this. So all you need to do is learn the language at this point as a project manager, especially if you're hungry to know this stuff. You're not too old to do it. You're not too, 
you're not too young to do it. You can do you can start right now. We'll start where you are. OK, let me see. I got some folks that are um, messaging me. I'm going to answer some of these as fast as I can. Um, man, I love to hear that from you. Uh, I'll make some supplements. I'll I'll make sure to supplement some extra uh, network basics. Oh, man, you got to do it, Seth, man. You got to do it. Uh, as much as possible, get that hands-on. I'm telling you, that hands-on experience that you can get. Um, the hands-on, the more hands-on experience that you get, the better. And you can do a lot of this in your in on in your own free time at your home on your computer. The more, like, there's nothing like having the knowledge connected with actual having done it before, even if you've done it, because you'll be able to speak way more fluent on it, and you'll under you'll have a better understanding of what it is that the organization needs or wants. So it's very, very valuable that that experience that you have, that hands-on experience, that you can actually get that in your house on your own network. There's another networking uh, thing that you can use called GNS3. GNS3, Golf November uh, Sierra 3. Um, and that that's a really good one to use for, for networking basic network it it tells you like it, it'll t set up like a virtual environment where you can set up a, like a router and switch and the differences between those um another good resource that you could use is chat gpt you can literally ask chat gpt um any question <laughs> it's gonna um a, a quality like just to make sure you understand it's not the end all be all because a lot of times gns uh ChatGPT is wrong, is is misinformed about certain things. Uh, so don't don't use it too heavily as a crutch because if you're serious about this, you need to crack open some books on, that are whatever or whatever you're trying to do, whether it's pen testing or if it's networking or if you're trying to be a Java three scripter writer or whatever. Like you're gonna have to crack open a book and do projects. Like especially if you're doing any kind of uh, heavy configurations uh, for as far as scripting or or software engineering or or network engineering and stuff like that. Those are things that you can literally do on your own laptop on your own time. So don't rely too heavily on um, on AI. It's just not there yet. You know what I mean. So you can use it as a like a tool to generate questions for a test, or you can use it to know basic knowledge. It's kind of like Wikipedia. Like you can go to it and and, and kind of reference some stuff and then get better references and know where to go. But at this point, it's, it's not doing our job for us. Not yet. It, it's going to get there eventually. They're already talking about having general general intelligence. VMware is cool, man. VMware is fire. Gee, VMware is my favorite. It does cost money, but it's worth it, in my opinion. Invest in some books, too. Those are only like 10, 20 bucks. Um, let me see. Thanks, brother. I'll look for free courses around GCIH. You might be able to find some entry-level incident handling is what you want to look for on Udemy or some of the other places. There's some folks that talk about incident handling. You're not going to find a free uh, GCIA certificate, I don't think. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, let me see here. Got other questions that I, I'm not... 
I'm not skipping you. I just I've just got a lot of stuff popping. I'm on like four or five different platforms right now. Okay. Wiss says uh, ethical hacking essentials by EC Council combined with um, NIST 800 security handbook for managers. I'm, I think he's giving us, excuse me, he's giving us a reference. Thanks for that. Appreciate that. Larry says, um, I know in the public sector government, the CISSP is is very highly regarded, for sure, for sure. My life changed when I got the CISSP. Um, there's very few things I've done in my career that that had a noticeable shift. I can name them. Um, one of the biggest ones, of course, is experience. Just having experience that I got from the military. Um, not that you have to go in the military, but I just happen to be in the military doing networking and doing help desk and doing, oh man, certification and accreditation. I just did so many things when I was there that that experience was, and that's the thing when people say, oh, veterans or whatever, it's our experience. It's the, that's the thing that really sets us apart is because normally you it comes with a hardcore experience. Uh, so that experience definitely set me apart. Another thing was, um, and that was only about three or four years, by the way, uh, of doing IT in the military. Um, the other thing was um, the CISSP, monumental. Like I, it was a huge shift. And then being able to put a, a degree on my on my uh, resume. Those those three things, I would say that I could see an effect that it had on my pay. Um, there were certain times I can't even get in the door without a certain uh, degree or a certain level of experience. And sometimes they'd be looking for either or or a combination of the two. Uh, and then the other one would be CISP op just opens up all kinds of doors because it's just very marketable. Um, someone, and Jesse says, what do you think about CISA versus CISSP? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you up with some, with some straight up data on this one. And then I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> First of all, let's, let's bring up, uh, Jeremy, uh, Paul Jeremy's, uh, roadmap. I want to show you where, where each one of these sits. So let's do a little bit of research here, a little bit of analysis. This is a pretty accurate list. It starts off from the bottom with entry level certifications and it gradually goes up to expert level certifications. So what we want to do here is use this as a guide to see where CISSP sits versus what was CISA. Uh, so CISSA, CISA, they're put on an expert level. I would put it a little lower than that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'll put it a little bit lower than expert level. I would, I mean, mad props to CISSP. It was a hard test, but I will put it a little lower than that. Um, so where is CISA in comparison? So CISA is, if I'm not mistaken, they put it below the C, the CASP, which is on the top of intermediate. Um, I'm still looking for CISA. Um, there's C-Risk. There it is. It's right below C-Risk. So they put it mid-tier. Here it is right here. Whoops. Let me see if I can. There it is. Nope. Okay, it's like really tucked in there. There it is. Okay, certified information uh, systems auditor. It's a seven hundred dollar, seven hundred sixty dollar exam, 
and it's it's a few rungs below CISSP. Whereas CISSP, they're putting it on the bottom of expert level. CISA, they're putting it on the top of intermediate. So they're kind of in the same range. But according to this chart, now let's take some real numbers. Let's go to um, what I want to do is go to Indeed.com, Indeed.com, and I want to search by straight up jobs. How many jobs can you get with a CISSP versus a CISA? Let's let's look for that. And the numbers might surprise you. And what this is telling us is how many employers are looking for you to have a CISA. Let's start off with CISA. So I didn't put any kind of location here. Um, I didn't sign in. So this is just raw data. How many jobs? So it's looking like 4,197 jobs are looking for a CISA. Not bad. Not bad. And they're all over the country. You got Utah, you got Virginia, PA, remote jobs. Um, so about 4,000 jobs total. We didn't we didn't filter it, nothing. Now let's look at CISSP. I'm looking for, so for those of you who are late, what I'm doing is somebody asked me a comparison between two certifications, security certifications. One, CISE, CISA by ISACA and the CISSP by ISC2 squared. And what is the marketability of these and kind of where do they sit? And let's see. So this certification is going to give us 9,000 jobs. So the other one was 4,000, a little over 4,000 jobs. This one's 9,000 jobs. See, I, and I didn't filter this. This is just raw information coming directly off of uh, Indeed.com. And uh, those are the numbers right there. This is how many employers are looking for a CIS, a CISA, 9,000 jobs for a CISSP versus a CISA, which was 4,000 jobs. So right off the bat, you can see that the CISSP is way more marketable. And that, that makes sense because actually the CISSP is very broad. I mean, it's, whereas the CISA is, it's an, it's an auditor certification. So it's very, it's, it's focused on one like group of tasks where CISSP covers auditing, but it also covers um, a little bit of about hacking and a little bit about firewalls and a little bit. It's like a, it's like everything, right? So what's my personal opinion about these two? Uh, so I only have a CISSP. I do not have a CISA. I've been thinking about maybe taking the C-RISC or CISA on some occasions. Um, there have been some jobs where people wanted me to have a CISA. There was a, there was a, a task in my former job, as a matter of fact, where they were looking for somebody to have a CISA and a, man, what was the other thing? It was You had to have a, CISS, a CISA and a CISSP, that's right, to be a QSA, um, a Qualified Security Assessor. I don't, QSA is something what they, what they call auditors who do auditing on um, PCI DSS. So I didn't have one. So there were a couple people on our team who had both a CISP and a CISA, and they were they were QSAs. And um, I wasn't able to do it because I didn't have a, CIS, a CISA, which is what our client wanted. Um, I've had some peers who had a CISA. I've had some bosses who had a CISA. Um, overall, CISA is, is, is definitely no joke. It's definitely no joke. It's de I would say it definitely, you should put it somewhere in the vicinity of an intermediate certification. 
I would not put it above a CISSP. It's just not as marketable. It's not as it's not. It doesn't cover as much ground. Um, it doesn't command as much money. And that's the next thing we'll look at. Let me show you this. And I could be wrong. Um, let's 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 look at straight up data. Now, we were on the CISSP, right? And for those of you who are listening or watching me on TikTok, I'll just explain what what I'm seeing on my on my screen here. So what we're doing is we're on Indeed.com and we're going to look at a couple jobs. We'll just take a couple uh, and look at the how much they're how much they are. Um, what the salary cap on these? Okay, so here's one. They they want you to be a network support engineer with CISSP, and that's paying up to eighty nine thousand a year. And here's another one. A cybersecurity lead software engineer. This one's paying up to 130000 a year full time. This one is an information security professional. It's paying up to 169000 Oh, shit. Now, what's this job? Hold up. Hold up. Let's pause for a second. I'm going to have to apply for this job right here. $169,000 is no joke, baby. Okay. No qualifications. No, 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 no. Uh, okay. Okay. No, I'm not qualified for that job. Anyway, <laughs> 170,000 a year. That's not bad. Senior engineer. So you can see like the average cost, the average uh, salary is like 120, 110, something like that for a CISSP. And there's a lot of high level uh, positions in there. Let me see. Let's look at CISA. What kind of positions and what kind of salary is demand is being given is offered. Okay. Right out the box, a manager, 160. That's no joke. Um, the next one, $90 an hour, a senior uh, assessment for a senior consultant, 90 up to $90 an hour. Damn. Um, a senior cybersecurity engineer. Uh, here's another one. Look at this one. Uh, a managing director, internal auditor, Two hundred thousand to start. Damn. So CISA actually is demanding more money on average. It looks like to me, according to this these few few data points I'm looking at. I mean, they, these are these are one hundred fifty averaging hundred. This one's two hundred thousand. Oh my god. CISA looks like no joke. But let's look at this. CISSP salary. All right, let's see. So it it depends on the or the the location. Most jobs depend on location. Uh, in Colorado, the annual salary of a CISSP is about one hundred twenty six thousand. Delaware one hundred eighteen thousand. Uh, Illinois is one hundred seventeen thousand. So roughly one hundred twenty thousand, about ten k a month, right? And that's off of just a few rows. And I'm looking at now. Let's look at a CISA. CISA. Hmm. Let's see if we can get a similar list here. And it's not giving me a similar list, which kind of sucks, to be honest with you. Um, like I wanted a per state breakdown. But entry level is saying entry level for CISA is 60,000 up to 79. Once somebody with one to three years of experience, 75 to 100,000, a junior level, 75,000, senior doesn't have a, a breakdown for that. 
ultimately, I would say that a CISSP is is better. Um, it's you're gonna have more opportunities with a with a CISSP. Um, and then when I'm looking at the average salary breakdown of a CISA, it's it's a little bit less than a CISSP. On Indeed, the the jobs are fire. I mean, I was seeing nothing but like one hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollars positions. <laughs> but when I look at uh, breakdown on average of a CISA, it's, it's about ten ten thousand. It's about ten thousand a year cheaper, um, less in salary. But let's say versus CISSP. Let me see what Google says about that per state. Let me see if they have a breakdown to that. Um, oh, look at this. It's a breakdown of it. CISSP versus, okay, it's pretty much saying the same numbers. I would say my own personal opinion, having, you know, we just, I just kind of took you through some of the data, data points, but in my experience, I would say a CISSP is better. If you had a choice, CISSP. The CISSP is going to be more relevant to a broader range of cybersecurity jobs, if that makes any sense. Whereas a CISA is mainly for auditing. And so not to say a CISA isn't fire, like a CISA is definitely dope, but a CISSP can be a vulnerability manager. They can be an information security officer, a GRC type person. They can do, uh, hell, they can just be a manager. They can just, they could be a project manager. I've seen CISSPs who are project managers, program managers, directors. Uh, it's just a broader range of things that you can do where, where in, and it's more respected in many different industries. Whereas the CISA, I've seen it definitely in the federal government. It's definitely high, highly respected. And I've seen it in the uh, financial sector, very highly respected. Um, and I'm sure it's, it's across the board, but most people know what a CISSP is in, in IT. Some people will not know what a CISA is. So unless you're really deep in the weeds. So I would put, I would say CISSP over over a CISA. I kind of I kind of went crazy on that one. <laughs> Do auditors get fined if they make mistakes? Um in cybersecurity as a whole, this is actually a really good question. Um I've made mistakes as a as a security guy. Uh big pretty big mistakes. And um what they don't and I always wondered why cuz let me put this in context. I used to be a police officer in the in the military. I was an MP. And uh at least in the in the military, if you if you mess up in the military, something's gonna happen to you as a cop. You know, I think it's different on the outside as a cop. <laughs> they don't really get in trouble unless they're filmed or something. But on the if you're in the in the military as an MP in the Air Force, man, they were very heavy, heavy-handed on us. You could not get away with anything, man. They you could not make mistakes. Like if you made a mistake, you were going to get an article 15. They, they just gave them out like candy. Um, they, they take rank away from you. They dock pay. They, they would slam you. Right. And if they could, they throw your ass in jail. When I've cross trained, when I went from being an MP doing secure physical security, going to cybersecurity, I was very surprised 
that they didn't punish people for making mistakes. Um, as in, you let's you put a an IP address or a server name that's not supposed to be outside. You put you, it it goes over un, a clear line or something like that, right? You 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 didn't encrypt the email that was supposed to be encrypted or something like that. They're not gonna fire you for something like that. Um, you're definitely going to get reprimanded for something like that, but you're not going to get fired. And the reason why they don't is because so many people make mistakes like that. If it's an honest mistake, then they typically you'll get reprimanded, but you're not going to get fired for something like that. Right. It's a good question because you're dealing with very sensitive information. Um, that said, if you do some shit on purpose, you're not only are you going to get fired, but you might get pro like you're probably going to get putting you could be could be put in handcuffs like if you do some shit on purpose that's different uh and to give you an example of accident versus versus intentional right <laughs> just like to give you some more further understanding of how this works accident a mishap right so in most risk reports where they break down all the kinds of hacks that have happened over the course of a year one of the biggest things that happen is called a mishap. That means if somebody published a bunch of servers that they weren't supposed to publish and it goes on it goes on the internet and it, one of them gets hacked. There was a mishap. Somebody slipped up, they hit the wrong button, they put the wrong IP on it, they whatever, right? They sent the some some something that's sensitive in the clear and then it, that got leaked or um they left something in their car like this happens like they'll they had sensitive information on their on the laptop. Their laptop gets stolen. They weren't supposed to put it in their in their car, but it was an accident. They'll get reprimanded. Typically, not fired. Not unless it it, it was so bad that it, it it damaged the reputation of the company, or if 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 they took a huge hit, something like that, then maybe you get fired for it. You know, if it was really really severe and it was an accident, but you, you should have known better or whatever, then probably you get fired. Intentional is an insider threat. That means you knew what you were doing. You planned it out. You you planned it out and you wanted to leak this information. To, and I'll give you a real world example of both. One is a mishap is like uh, one that actually happened with the VA Department of Veteran Affairs happened maybe, I don't know, it was like 10 years ago where some dude did exactly what I said. They locked their, they had their laptop. The laptop has a whole bunch of uh, social security numbers on it. Right. So this is service members. It was in their car. Car got broken into. Somebody took the laptop. FBI got involved because there were that many social securities and sensitive information, private information on those on the on that laptop. Um, that That's a mishap. I don't think that dude got fired for that. Right. You might be arguing, well, maybe they should. I don't know. It's not our call, but I don't think that that person got fired for that now. Let's talk about insider threats. That's like somebody planned it out. And I can give you an example of this one. I was working at a place. I ain't going to name no names. Uh, but uh, <laughs> some dude took it on, on upon himself to take classified information that we had. We had classified side and we had unclassified side. This dude printed out classified information, took it to the unclassified side, and then try to fax it over to a criminal or a terrorist organization. 
and they caught him. And somebody that somebody came in with handcuffs. I don't know if it was the I don't know if it was uh it was some sort of investigative team that <laughs> came in and they put him in handcuffs and walked him out. Like I don't even know what I don't even know what happened to that guy. So if it's an a mishap, usually yeah, you'll get reprimanded. You're probably not gonna get fired or have fines. Somebody said, What about fines regulations? Like, um, no. Like I said, like they're not, it's not going to go like fines or anything like that. It might hit the company. Now, if the company gets fined, that can happen. And the fines are really severe, then they might fire you for that. The company is going to get hit for what you did if it's a mishap. That said, if it's too big, like if it's really, if they took a hit, they might fire you. Um, but typically what they'll do is, they, if they can fix it, like, okay, you, you made a mistake. All right, let's sit you down. Like, what were you, what, what did, why, what happened? You explained, you were very truthful. You told them what happened and they said, okay, okay, let's, let's assess what the impact of what you did. Let's figure it out. Okay, cool. All right. We're going to, let's talk to a client. Let's see what happened. What, what was the leak? Were there any leaks that happened because of this? What was the total impact? What was the, what's the actual risk to what happened? And if it's minimal, there's no fines, there's no regulations. But what can happen is if it's really big, the company gets hit, slammed hard. And then they're like, dude, this guy cost us $2 million. It's cheaper to fire this guy and bring in somebody else because this person's incompetent, especially if you keep doing it over and over again, then they're probably going to let you go. So I hope that answers your question. And, and this is coming from somebody who I've made. I've been in this field so long. I've made mistakes. I made mistakes as a cop. I, I've made mistakes as a cybersecurity guy. Not fun, by the way. Neither one is fun. <laughs> Not fun. But, you, I mean, you do this job. That's they under The company understands that you, in order to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. People are going to make mistakes. So if they just go around punishing everybody who makes a mistake, people are going to be too afraid to do anything. And so a lot of times, especially when I was in the military, this is the first time I seen this and I was blown away. There were these lieutenants who and captains, right? They were like younger uh, officers and they would send they would accidentally send um, classified stuff over unclassified lines. Huge no, no. Right. It wasn't leaked to the Internet or anything like that. It was leaked on a classified and unclassified environment. That's not it's not these two are not supposed to touch. They're air gapped. They're meaning they do not touch each other. Data is not going back and forth. Right. Unless you have some kind of special system, whatever, cross domain solution, whatever it is. But the, these typically don't touch. So you one does not you can't put. I mean, if I think you you could take unclass, you could take unclassified stuff and put it on the classified network. But you can't take classified stuff and put it on unclass. But a lot of times lieutenants are sending out messages on both like. They're doing operational stuff on classified and doing stuff on unclassified. So they're going back and forth. And so sometimes they slip up and they would talk about classified stuff on an unclassified environment. And then it would be like ding, 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 like somebody just leaked this information. And what would happen is they would get a slap on the wrist. There would be no fines. There would be no what they would, what would happen is they would get sat down and say, hey, on this day, you release this and that. You, you know, and they, they'd be, oh, my God, they thought their life was coming to an end. Right. Because they did. They know they messed up. Because keep in mind, this is a young officer. And they're like, 
oh shit, what have I done? And then typically we would come in, IT department, security would come in and okay, sit them down and be like, okay, this is what happened. This email sent here. You're not supposed to say this and that. Here's what they found. Um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk to your boss, and we're gonna we're gonna have you and your boss take training. And that's that was kind of their punishment. Is like they would sit them down, tell them what's going on, and then them and their boss would have would have to have training. And then what the boss did to that person was between them, you know. But um, and what I realized is that I was I was shocked that this person didn't get fired or didn't get a Article 15 or anything. But the reason why is because these guys are sending out all of us are sending out so much information and doing so many trans like literally hundreds or sometimes even thousands of transactions in the course of a week that if we took if we were too afraid to do our job, uh, we wouldn't be able to get anything done. And the operational environment was kind it was moving really fast, very volatile, all kinds of stuff happening all the time on these networks. So they would just kind of give them a slap on the wrist and then make them take the retake the training and and that kind of thing. Thanks for explaining. You're welcome. OK, let me see here. So I think I skipped a couple of people here. How much knowledge do I need to have to be a firewall engineer? Um, firewall engineers are typically really good at one. They get really good at one product. So Palo Alto, for example, if you are a firewall engineer, number one, even to be a firewall engineer, you're going to have to really know networking pretty good. Um, you're going to have to know a lot of, of real strong understanding of basic security, ba uh, best practice, uh, security best practices. You're going to have to be really knowledgeable of that. Usually firewall guys are really, really sharp on networking really really sharp on um on best security practices and usually pretty good at they're really really solid on basic it stuff like they're they're advanced level it guys mid-tier network guys and then they're very deep on one product and what i mean by one product is um the firewall engineering space is similar to the networking engineering space. Now, if I'm talking out of turn, if you happen to be a firewall guy, please correct me if I'm wrong. But the firewall um, lane is very much like the networking lane in that the the folks that dominate this field is our actual vendors. Like right now, the top of the food chain is Palo Alto, and Cisco, and I think like Fortunet or something. I don't know. There's like in the U.S. There's like five. There's like a top ten top service uh, firewalls that everyone uses. Let me see if I can come up with that real quick. It's usually on the Gartner report of the top ones, top firewalls and vendors in 2020, 2023. So I'm just trying to find like a a breakdown of the top firewalls in 2023 to kind of give you an idea, and then we'll I'll explain why that's important. Okay, so here we go. This is close enough. There's different consists breaking down different kinds of firewalls. Um, 
This one's talking about next generation firewall vendors in 2003. Palo Alto, Fortinet, and Cisco and Juniper are the top next generation firewalls. And then other firewall vendors would include Checkpoint, Fortinet again, Palo Alto, Cisco. Okay. So you kind of you'll see the same kind of firewalls, but then there's other types of firewalls. So there's there's um host-based firewalls and there's all, but for the purpose of this discussion, let's just stick with these top four right here, Palo Alto, Fortinet, Cisco, and Juniper. Typically, um, uh, it, people are very good at one of these, they, they, meaning they really know Palo Alto firewalls. They may not have ever even touched a Fortinet firewall. And um, your, your average firewall guy is who's really good at what they do is going to be really, really sharp on one of these. Now, that's not to say that if you're really, really sharp on a Cisco uh, a Cisco secure firewall that you can't learn Palo Alto because a lot of them, to be honest with you, they all are they're based off of they are built off of Cisco of Linux. So if you know basic Linux commands, you can kind of you can kind of make your way through the back end of the firewall. And then also. Um, they understand that there's basic concepts of a firewall that they really, really, uh, really, really understand. Like firewall rules is a huge one. Like they have to really, really know how firewall rules work. And they're, they're, they're confusing to me. I mean, there's certain firewall rules. That it's, they, they get very confusing, very, very complex, very fast. Um, so to, to answer your question, what knowledge must you have to be a firewall engineer? Networking is super important. Networking would be probably the most important thing. <laughs> the most important thing. Um, another one would be firewall rules. You'd have to understand that one a lot. Um, that's right up there with networking. Um, Best security practices are going to be important because there's certain things that you can there's certain things you can block um, for a web server that you probably don't want to block for a, uh, a, a database or rather an internal database is going to have different protection than um, a, a web server, for example. So best security practices are going to really help you out and and knowing um networking knowing when i say knowing networking i mean like knowing the difference between an internal network and a, a private network and an uh and a public network uh ip address um knowing uh ports protocols and services oh my lord that's going to be really important cuz that's literally what you're blocking is ports protocols and services going in and going out um, so those are the main things that you need to know as a firewall guy. And, and that being said, I'm not a firewall person. I'm, I, I, I've messed with the Cisco ASA back when it was when it used to be called Sidewinder. So I really dated myself. I, it's my knowledge of firewalls. It's really old. It's like yeah, I'm really, really old. So don't believe anything I say. I'm just some guy. Talk to a firewall guy. Uh, let me see if I have any other questions here before I stop this. Fines and regulations. 
somebody said, what? Wait, cops get punished? <laughs> in the military, they do. I don't, and the outside, apparently not. You know what I mean? <laughs> in the military, we definitely got punished. Man, they ate their own, man. They were not messing around. We were held to a higher standard, man. Uh, at least when I was in, it was no joke. And I think that's how they should do on the outside. But they they kind of like stick together and then protect each other, which is that's why we're in the state we're in right now. Um, my dad makes one hundred and fifty dollars an hour as a consultant working with cloud and security clients. Yeah, I believe that. That makes sense to me. There's not many of there's not many of people who know that that skill set. That's why, especially if he really knows his stuff. Yeah, they'll pay you um, pay that kind of money. I'm looking for my first cybersecurity position. Uh, what does my experience in capture the flags matter for SOC? Um, capture the flag might give you, if, if that's what you see, TFs, that's capture the flag, right? That's like hacking. Let me see if CTF, I don't know if you're still on. Um, and CTF experience. CTF. Okay, I'm assuming you mean capture the flag. Capture, for those of you who don't know, capture the flag is a cybersecurity exercise that involves finding hidden, hidden, hidden strings or flags in vulnerable programs, websites, or servers. Um, and basically, it's like a simulated um, network environment where you'll set up these little things easter eggs you're supposed to find throughout the network that are linked to vulnerabilities you would and to find those you have to be pretty savvy because you got to know how to break into a web back end of a web server to get this one string that's on the on a file on that web server you know you that means you have to break into it like you have to hack it so that that's some really cool stuff and um so the question is to if you're he this guy's got pen testing experience and he wants to go into a, a SOC, which is a security operations center. And security operating centers, they are usually looking for somebody who knows how to do some kind of incident detection, incident response, and incident handling. So actually, people who are red teamers or people who are do pen testing or ethical hacking or capsule flags are perfect. For doing what's called cybersecurity analysis, because they're going to know what types of things that people are trying to do to infiltrate a network. And so the more you know about pen testing, whether it's internal pen testing, like you're already in the network doing stuff, or you're outside of the network trying to come in through firewall or bypass the firewall in some way or find a vulnerable system that's out there that's not in within the firewall or within the DMZ or whatever. Um, if you know all those techniques, then you're going to kind of know what to look for as a cybersecurity analyst inside of a security operating uh, center. Um, then you, you're you going to have to learn certain things because pen testers probably don't know. If you're really deep in the weeds on pen testing, you're probably not going to be too savvy on incident handling, which is like, how do you, what do you do once the attack occurs? Like, what are the steps involved once an attack occurs? The detection part is where you're probably going to soar 
but the experience that you have as a capsule flag or pen tester or a hacker malicious or otherwise is going to be super valuable in a sock because the sock the sock actually is pivotal because a security operating center is going to be where all incidents are supposed to lead all security anything related to even any kind of anomaly any kind of difference in the uh, in the network flow it's there's they're going to see it in a in a sock in a security operating center or a network operating center because all the logs and all the stuff's coming through them and normally they have tools set up to capture all of that stuff to see all the logs of what's going on if you happen to be a pen tester you're going to know certain signatures that come through that might indicate that somebody's trying to do a brute force attack on passwords or you might know immediately the difference between a false positive and um and a denial of service a distributed denial of service attack that you see a system getting hit with a you know 100,000 um uh, packets in you know 3 minutes or whatever sometimes it's it's not always an actual attack sometimes somebody has configured a system wrong and it's just getting a flood of of data from another server or something. But you you as a pen tester might be able to say, okay, well, I know this isn't a di distributed uh, a, a distributed attack because it's this kind of packet. So it, it would be super helpful to be a pen tester and going into uh, analyst work. Super super helpful because you. As a sock person, a lot of times you have, at least when I was doing it, um, as a cybersecurity analyst, I had, I we talked to, we might have to talk to a red team that's doing an exercise on us, or we we interact with them uh, because we'd be defending the network or watching the logs or whatever. So we'd have to actually talk to pen testers sometime from time to time. We also have to interact with forensics guys, and then you have to also. Uh, work with other teams within the network, the network engineers. You have to talk to the server, the server guys or the workstation help desk guys. And you have to you're seeing all their logs. So sometimes you have to talk to them and say, hey, why? What is this? Does this log look familiar to you? What? Why are we seeing this so much on Windows 11, Windows 19 systems? Like, what does this do you guys need this? Because we're seeing a lot of this. So what we need to know what this is. So yes, that is super helpful. Um, can the SOC, can the security operating center be a role that someone can start with or pro with no prior experience? That's primarily the role I'm interested in. Um, I want to say no, but... I was in an environment. Let me just give you context and maybe that they'll give you some answer to your question. Um, number one, you're going to have to have the knowledge. The, you're going to have to have a real strong knowledge of networking, a real strong knowledge of 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 IT, information technology. You have a very strong knowledge of it. That's you're going to have to have that. Um, and a couple people are jumping in and saying no. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, so I said, uh, learn what you can about tools and move on. It's help desk work. 
um, the tools are set uh, for you. So let me just tell you some of my experience on, on a, a security operating center. I worked at a place where we really, really needed people and people just don't want to do this job at the time. You know, I don't know if it's changed, but we were really, really looking for people to do security analyst stuff. And we just couldn't find people to do it. And the reason why we couldn't find it is because we were in the Middle East and you had to be away from your family for like a year. So, <laughs> so um, it, we just got desperate and we just like start, we start pulling people who had very little experience. And I, I know because I was doing interviews with people. I was one of the main uh, cybersecurity analysts there. And I'd been there for like six months because people were just in and out. We just had we were just having people rotate in and out. Um, and somebody's jumping in saying SOC does not do analytical thinking. Um, it depends. Depends on the, the security operating center. Um, where I was, we had different tiers of security operators. Um, and some people they they didn't, they really had very little experience. So they didn't have enough knowledge to do the level of analytics we need. We had about two guys on the team who were really good at what they were doing. So they were very analytical. Uh, one guy was a GCIA and uh, and had done it at, a, at another base. And so that guy did most of our thinking for us. Um, me, I was green. I just I just got there. So I was learning stuff. I knew some I had some networking background, but um, I it takes a, a a little bit of time, like I would say a couple of years to like really be analytical with it because there's just so many things that you need to know. And he's saying that you have to escalate things to other. Yeah. So there are, they do two incident response, three things and escalate. And so we had it some built like that. He, he, this guy's on the right track. So what you what we would do is we had people who would detect. Right. And these are people who are just looking at data like a that code like on the matrix it just be like this shower of data coming in on on the screen and you just be watching it right and our job was to detect certain things using a tool the tool we used was a seam and the seam was was um was set up to where it would help you to find the stuff so People who are really green, who have very little experience, like I said, we were hiring people who have very, very little experience, like help desk experience. We were hiring them in. It's a great opportunity if you want to get in cybersecurity at that time. So we had a tool that was set up to like alert you. And then you would be as a SOC analyst of tier one SOC analyst, you would hit that alert, look at it and see, OK, is this a false positive or what's going on? If it was something that you were like, damn, I don't know what this is. Like this, like uh, two wheels for real saying you would put that to a you would send that to uh, the next tier of SOC analysts. Right. And then that SOC analyst, this person would be more experienced. A, he'd be like a GCIA or something like that. And then they would take it and look at the packets of it and say, "Nah, this is this is nothing. man. this is just a um, this is a false positive. And here's why I know it's a false positive. And they, we had tools that would break the packet apart. and You'd be able to look into it and stuff like that. And nine times out of 10, it was a false positive, but sometimes it was real. And these guys would be like, okay, I think we have something here, All right? You'd send it to the next tier. They would do analytics on it. 
And then they will say, okay, hmm, all right, all right. So this is something. Then they go do research. They would go talk to the server guys or talk to the firewall guys to get more information. They would be investigating. They would actually spend hours investigating one thing that was happening. And then if it got really deep from time to time, you go to forensics. And forensics did some really deep shit on the packets. So, and that was really rare, but there were, it did happen from time to time, but usually it will stop at that second or third tier um, SOC analyst guy. So to answer your question, there is a chance you could come in with very little experience. I don't know about no experience unless you really, really knew your stuff. I think if you really, really knew your stuff, you might be able to get yourself an overseas uh, job. Like there's there's companies overseas that are not very comfortable. They're going to pay you a whole bunch of money to go over there more than the average it would make here tax free. You go over there. Um, they're going to teach you on the job training like for about, you know, two, three months. You're going to be sitting in there learning the basics of the tools that they use and what they need you to do. It's possible. I probably say you probably need to have like a degree in I.T., um, with no experience, we're talking about no experience. You might be able to come in as a, as like a, as a, a, um, an apprentice or something like that, where they would bring you have, you know, like just say you have a bachelor's or master's or whatever, and they bring you in as an apprentice to learn. And then they do on job training with you and you have very little experience You'd be doing shift work. You'd be overseas away from your family. You would, it, it would suck. But the thing is, you would get amazing experience. And that it, that's what happened to me. It sucked, man. I was away from my family. Um, they were paying me lower than probably what I would make over here. But it was tax-free. So I was like, screw it. I really want to learn this stuff. Um, and I they they brought me in because I had a, cert, a certain certification and I had a networking background. But that said, I was interviewing people and we were desperate. I was interviewing people, asking them questions like, do you know what port 25 is? Do you know what port? And the reason why you might be laughing, but honestly, we could not find people to do this work. So we were looking for people who were just very sharp. If I would have hired, I would have vouched for somebody who checked all the boxes that the company wanted and was very sharp, but had very little or no experience. I totally would have vouched for him at, for that position. But everybody has to have the knowledge. Everybody. He, OK, two wheels for real says everybody wants experience, but you can't get experience without experience. That's that's exactly right. So sometimes you got to hunt for those jobs like you got to look for them, but they do exist. They do exist. And I would say some of the positions that lend themselves to hiring people with little or no experience will be help desk, of course. Um, some kind of cu customer service type uh, for first tier um, troubleshooting job where you're reading from a script and you're saying, oh, OK, do you did you turn the router off? OK, make sure is the light green, you know, <laughs> like there's those jobs are entry level. And another one would be. A SOC analyst, a SOC, you could probably get in with a super high level of IT IQ. Uh, if you were able to blow their minds with with how much knowledge you knew and you but you had no 
experience, you might be able to get yourself in there. Another one would be any kind of apprenticeship. If you happen to be working on a bachelor or a master's, you might be able to get an apprenticeship at a SOC, um, as a SOC analyst. Maybe, you know. So hope they answered the question. That's just based off of my experience, by the way. Could you talk about a bit about Kibana security information? Security information management. Um, Kibana. I don't even know what that is. Kibana. Kibana. Scene. Try not to sound like a dumbass here. Because I do know a little bit about seams, but not, I don't know what Kibana is. Or did you just make that word up or something? <laughs> Oh, okay. My bad. It's not. It's real. <laughs> I'm showing my ignorance here. Okay. He says, Seam, um, the Seam app Kibana is a workspace for security teams to investigate um, events and triage. Um, part of Elastic Solution, uh, security solution. Seam stands for Security information and event management. So the only ones that I'm kind of familiar with is ArcSight. Um, I don't know. What, I don't even know if they call it ArcSight anymore. It's been a long time. But ArcSight and Splunk. Those are the two seams that I'm familiar with. And I don't even I'm not smart enough on those anymore to, to speak on it, to be honest with you. I could tell you like what it is and like what I could tell you like little bits, but I can't break it down like. Um, I'm not a security expert on that anymore. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if I if I had something uh, in front of me, uh, I could probably I'd be like, oh yeah, that's that's what this is. But off the top of my head, I can't speak on it, man. That somebody way smarter than me on that would was probably better better suited to speak on it. Somebody said, I'll it's blunt. Let me see. It's like. Do Lena Trace new relic? It's like it's like Splunk overrated. Oh, okay. So it's like a Splunk type thing. I figured that. Okay, okay. All right, guys. Listen, I've been talking for about two hours. I got some stuff to do. Here, but thank you so much for all your great information. Thank you all the old heads and all the experienced guys who chimed in and gave me great information. I do not know everything, so it's really great to get to kind of pluck your brain and, and you guys add it in there. Thank you so much, Larry, for the coffee, man. I really appreciate you. You're you're actually funding this. <laughs> um, but thanks everybody on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on everywhere. Um, thanks on TikTok. I appreciate you guys. I'm about to get off of this thing. Appreciate you so much. I'll definitely do this again next week. Peace. Shut this thing off. And then oh, let, let me shut off YouTube. Happy Thanksgiving, Novi. How you doing, Novi? Navi. Okay, let me see. I'm going to cancel this one. There we go. Exit. And then I'm going to cancel this one. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks, everybody. I'm out of here.